Coming up, are the Seattle Mariners cooked in other divisional series predictions? And it's the finale of the top 10 D-backs from 2022, our little power ranking we've been doing the last couple of days. We got number one and number two to unveil today, so let's get it. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm Miller Thomas, multimedia journalist and graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at creatorthomas24 for my personal account, or look up Locked On Diamondbacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. Follow us on YouTube, Locked On Diamondbacks on there as well. We're trying to get our subscriber count up, so go please hit that follow button on our YouTube channel. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. We're going to be unveiling number one and number two in our top 10 D-backs from 2022 power ranking. But before we get there, I first want to talk about the divisional series and give some predictions maybe for the weekend, some things I think can happen. And I first want to start here with the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners because this Astros team is just a freaking juggernaut. They took down the Mariners 4-2 to two today. And it's just Jordan Alvarez carrying this Astros offense right now. And we shouldn't be surprised because if you go back and look at the numbers at the All-Star break, despite Judge having this fantastic season, there were numbers to support that maybe Jordan Alvarez was the MVP. And then you look at the second half, Alvarez didn't really come back to the pack, but he was kind of in and out the lineup a little bit, still put up fantastic numbers. Meanwhile, Judge just went to a, a different astronomical level. So we didn't feel like Jordan Alvarez was the MVP, you know, in the second half. But we can't forget at one point, you know, halfway through the season, we we could have made the argument for Jordan Alvarez to be the MVP. And he's showing why in this series. Then for the Seattle Mariners, like get Luis Castillo going today. He was pitching a gem and it does not matter because right now you just can't pitch to Jordan Alvarez. It's just too nasty, too dangerous. And Luis Castillo tried to get one by him. And it wasn't even by him. It wasn't even a striking Jordan Alvarez. It doesn't matter where the ball is. If it's within four feet of him, if, he, if his bat can reach the ball at this point, you got to be scared. And like, thank God they don't have the intentional walks anymore. We still got to throw the pitches to the catcher because Jordan Alvarez might crank one of those right now with how hot he is. So I, I could still see the Mariners winning a game in this series, but if Robbie Ray has to go in the next game, I don't know how they're going to do it because he did give up that home run to Jordan Alvarez in that other playoff game. So I don't know if he's going to be starting the next game because he did come in pretty recently. But Robbie Ray's pitching the next game. I'm sorry, Seattle. It was a great season. You made the postseason. You ended the drought. But if Robbie Ray is on the bump for a do-or-die game, um, you're dead. You're in the coffin. You're six feet underground. And I'm already, you're already buried. This Yankees versus Guardians series. First off, I first want to say every team 
in professional sports should be playing with a retractable roof. We should not have sporting events postponed and canceled, especially playoff events canceled because of weather. And most importantly, we shouldn't have playoff events affected by weather when we're actually playing the game. Do I want to see a Super Bowl played in the snow, played in the rain? I do not. Do I want to see a Boston Red Sox October baseball game where the starting pitcher is like shivering on the mound? I don't want to see that. Have retractable roofs so this way when it's really cold, the weather, the elements are outside, you could close it and make it nice and and controlled temperature. You could do what the D-backs do. They got panels. They open those things up and it's still controlled weather inside, feels about 70 degrees, but we still get natural sunlight into the place because we got those panels. So that's like the greatest thing that the D-backs have going for them at their stadium. They got their retractable roof with the panel with the panels that could open and close. Phenomenal stuff by the D-backs there. Every stadium should have that. Baseball is a great sport to be played outside, but it's not a fun sport to be played outside when it's raining or when it's freezing cold and you gotta be out there for five hours, especially when those games go into extra innings. Nah, you can forget me with that. So I don't understand why every professional team doesn't have a retractable roof, but that's, a, I guess, a story for another day or or a whole taken segment for another day, even though I just spent about a minute on it. But Yankees-Guardians series, I like the Guardians of the next two games because you got Bieber and Tristan McKenzie going. Yankees, of course, up one nothing in this series. But I do, I could see a world where the Guardians are up 2-1, to one after three because of Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. Now, one thing that does give me pause for concern is in three career starts against the New York Yankees, Shane Bieber has a 5.74 ERA. He's given up 10 earned runs and 15.2 innings pitch. It's his second worst ERA among teams he has at least 10 innings pitch against. So not, not the best numbers for Shane Bieber against the Yankees, but I just love the guy so much. I think he's one of the, I still think he's one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. This guy was probably the best pitcher in the American League in 2020, of course, shortened season, but he basically won the Triple Crown that year. He took a little bit of a step back in 2021. I think he dealt with some injuries as well, but back to being an ace this year, and I think he's an underrated number one starter, and I think he could show up against the New York Yankees team, righty versus judge and stands of the world, so I like that cross matchup as well. Tristan McKenzie, though, 2-4-5 ERA in two starts against the Yankees, only three earned runs and 11 innings pitch. so... If I had to make the case for the Guardians to win the series, you have to win these next two games with Bieber, Tristan McKenzie on the mound. But I still, I'm going to lean Yankees to win the series because I don't think you could have the type of season the Yankees just had, the type of season Judge just had, and lose in the divisional series to Cleveland. That can't happen if you're the New York Yankees. It's championship or bust, baby. So I'm picking the Yankees to win the series because they frankly have to. How about that Phillies versus Brave series? I like the Phillies in game three because they're going to have Aaron Nola. And I do think this series can go the distance. I think this series is going to go five. I like Aaron Nola a lot in game three. He has a 3-6-7 ear right and five starts against the Braves this season, which is pretty solid. I still think the Braves are going to win this series, but I do think it's going to go five. It's going to go deep because you got to look at this Phillies team and you got to respect their offense. They got guys that could bop. And right now, one guy who isn't bopping is Kyle Schwarber, who's just a huge X factor in this series because right now 
He is hitless in this series. And if Kyle Schwarber can get going, the man who led the National League in home runs, if he can get going, he's the type of dude that could change the whole momentum of a game with just one swing of his bat. So he's going to be the X factor for me. And I like Aaron Nola in game three. But the reason why I still love the Braves is because this was basically the best team in baseball the last two thirds of the season. Ronald Acuna is a great playoff player. Austin Riley is an MVP candidate. I just think they're going to have those studs in their lineup step up. Of course, Philly's got studs too, like the Schwarbers I just mentioned, the Bryce Harpers of the world. But I think the Braves guys are better suited for the postseason. I like their talent a little bit more. I think they're a little bit more dynamic. Bryce Harper might be the best player in this series, but after that, I might take a couple of Braves after him if I was doing a random fantasy draft where I had to pick players from both teams. So I like the Phillies to at least compete in this series and make it five, but I'm going to take the Braves to win. Now, the Braves only 11-8 and eight against the Phillies this season, so it's not like exactly dominant against the Phillies this year. So that's why I believe this will be a close and competitive series. And then going to the last series, Dodgers versus Padres. I want to I wanna lean the Padres in this series because, look, no one wants to see the Dodgers win. I don't want to see the Padres win either. Let me be clear. I want both teams to feel as much misery as possible, but... The Dodgers are 14-5 and five against the Padres this season. I just think we're going to see big brother versus little brother once again. I'm even seeing this in my own work office because I got a Padres fan and a Dodgers fan in my office. And guess what? The Padres fan was popping champagne bottles after last night's victory while the Dodgers fan is just like, eh, we'll celebrate at the end of the season when we hold up a championship trophy. I just think that's the mentality of both of these teams. Even Manny Machado was going back at Big Poppy after last night's win. Like the Padres think like every time you win a game like the playoffs is over meanwhile the Dodgers know there's a greater there's more at stake than just just one game every game you got to build upon of it and you got to win as many as possible so I like the Dodgers mentality I think a little bit more than the Padres but I do think an X factor in the series is surprisingly Blake Snell because I'm not a big Blake Snell guy I wouldn't trust him but in nine career starts against the Dodgers he has a 2.5 ERA so if the so if the Padres can win that Blake Snell start potentially in game four, then all cards are off the table. I'm not making any predictions because I wouldn't, I would not bet against Joe Musgrove. That dude just has a big heart. He's a big game pitcher. So I wouldn't root against or go against him, bet against him. So if the Padres are able to go up two to one after a Blake Snell victory with Joe Musgrove potentially being the closeout guy, I would not bet on that game because I could see either team winning that and all cards are off. But to give my final prediction, I think the Dodgers are going to win this, and I'm not sure if the Padres are going to win another game in this series. Now, if you want to place a bet on who's going to come out the divisional series, you need to head to betonline.net because betonline.net is your number one source for all excuse me, let me start over. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and Easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.
All right, all right. Let me put my name lower third back on the podcast because it's time, y'all. It's time to unveil the top two players in our Arizona top 10 players from the 2022 season power rankings. To recap, honorable mentions, Ketel Marte, Ryan Nelson, and Kevin Ginkle. Number 10, Corbin Carroll. Number 9, Dre Jameson. Number 8, Kyle Nelson. Number 7, Josh Rojas. Number 6, Joe Mantiply. Number 5, Dalton Varsho. Four, Jake McCarthy. Number three, Christian Walker. And now the top two. And after hearing the top 10, I'm pretty sure you can guess who's the top two. And if you watch the D-backs at all this season, you know what order the top two's in as well. But it now gives me at least a little bit of excuse to just talk these guys up and just really just, um, I don't know, over-exaggerate maybe a little bit, get a little bit hyperbolic with how much I love these two players. Because at number two, we have Merrill Kelly, the workhorse that is Merrill Kelly, because if you remember that 2020 season, Merrill Kelly was looking great in 2020 and he had the 259 ERA and five starts. And the thing with Merrill Kelly is, I didn't know Merrill Kelly was going to be the type of pitcher we saw this past season because let's take it back to the start of Major League, uh, a start of Merrill Kelly's career. This guy came over from where? Korea, I believe, at the age of 30, was coming overseas that first year with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2019, led the National League in losses with 14. Now, he still showed he was a workhorse back then with 183 innings pitch, but I think we felt like he was an innings eater in 2019. He, he, he gave you 183 innings, but just... Uh, a 1.315 whip back in 2019, a 4.42 ERA. Like, it was solid numbers, but you're like, eh, this is probably like a number four, number five starter, innings eater for you in the back end of your rotation. Nothing to really write home about. Then he comes in 2020. Has that 2.59 ERA and five starts. Looks fantastic. Looks like an ace, but then he gets hurt. He has like, what, the same injury I think that Markel Fultz has, and he misses the rest of the year, and you're like, whoa. There goes a guy that potentially could have been in the Cy Young running, and then he comes back in 2021, and Merrill Kelly is just not himself last year. Like, he was not good in 2021. A 4-4 ERA, only 158 innings pitched and 27 starts, was not the Merrill Kelly we saw in 2020, so it left a lot of question, like, entering this season. Which Merrill Kelly were we going to get? Are we going to get the guy who we saw in a large sample size in 2019 and 2021? Or is it going to be the potential... Guy that looked like he had Cy Young caliber stuff in 2020, despite it only being five starts. Like, we had such a large sample size from 2019 and 2021 to show us that maybe, maybe Merrill Kelly just a back-end starter and not the frontline starter we saw in 2020. But now that we have Brent Strom on the team, he's been working with Merrill Kelly, and he turned him into one of the best pitchers in the National League and a legit, I think, guy that could be in the top 8-12 in Cy Young voting. 33 starts this past season, 200 innings pitch, a 337 ERA, a 1.138 whip, 8.0 strikeouts per nine, 2.7 walks per nine, a really strong season by Merrill Kelly, and he's the definition of a workhorse. He only had three starts that didn't go at least five innings pitch this past year, averaged 6.1 innings pitch per game, which is just absolutely insane and like I said before I like players who get better in the second half well how about a player that is basically the same in the first half and second half because Merrill Kelly in the first half this past year 3.26 ERA the second half 3.5 ERA but his whip improved in the second half and he threw more strikeouts in the second half so he was basically the same guy in the first half and second half Merrill Kelly 
does a great job of shutting out of shutting down the top half of lineups. If you look at batting order positions, the basically guys batting between one through six, Merrill Kelly only allows like a 675 OPS to those guys with like a 220 average. Merrill Kelly is really good against the top of your order. The biggest issue Merrill Kelly has going for him, if you watch this past season, is he just starts slow in these games. Like Merrill Kelly has an issue where he's just not good the first two innings. Like if you look at it, in the first inning this past year, he gave up a 280 average and an 823 OPS in the first inning. The second inning, a 280 average and an 838 OPS, 5.18 ERA in the first inning, 4.64 ERA in the second inning. So just absolutely terrible in those two innings. But innings four through six, 272 ERA. Like he actually got better if he saw you a second or third time through the lineup, which is actually kind of crazy when you think about it, because most pitchers get worse the more times they see you through the order. And the numbers actually back that up because that first time, that first play appearance you have against Merrill Kelly, you're batting 263 with a 744 OPS. But that second time you see Merrill Kelly, 208 average, 625 OPS. And how about that third time you face Merrill Kelly? 198 average, 582 OPS allowed. Literally every time you go up to a bat against Merrill Kelly, the chances of you succeeding lessens with every plate appearance, which is just crazy to think about. He had 18 quality starts on the season, which is very impressive, a very high number. Merrill Kelly did Everything you could want from him this past season, his K rate and his double play percentage improved greatly this past season. His contact percentage improved a lot as well. His fastball and his cutter were deadly this past year. They were probably his best two-pitch combination. Merrill Kelly seriously turned himself into one of the best pitchers in baseball, and now he's got me thinking, like, if he pitches like this again next year, like, he's a legit number two, number three starter, Maybe maybe a number two starter, and, like, him and Zach Allen, those two, if they can just repeat what they did this season, which might not be the easiest thing, but if we could get 90% of 2022 Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly in 2023, like those two are good enough to be frontline rotation starters for a playoff rotation in the future, or maybe even next season if the D-backs can get into that wild card race, which I believe they can. Another reason why I love Merrill Kelly, ASU grad, forks up, baby. Merrill Kelly, someone who is now going to be 34 years old um, tomorrow. At the time of you guys listening to this, he's actually, it's his birthday because I'm recording this on October 13th. His birthday is October 14th. So happy birthday, Merrill Kelly, at the time of you listening to this. I hope they give him a nice little bump in pay um, just because he deserves more money. He's been great for the D-backs this season. Him, Christian Walker, they all deserve a little bump in pay. So Merrill Kelly, Great season by you, and I think you're going to get some Cy Young votes. I don't know where Merrill Kelly's going to finish, but I think he's going to finish at least in the top 10 of Cy Young voting in the National League in 2022. But this next guy who's coming in at number one for the top 10 D-backs from 2022, I believe this guy should finish number two in Cy Young voting. And maybe that's a hot take. Maybe it isn't. But Zach Gallen had himself a fantastic season. Zach Gallen had a 2.54 ERA. Despite 
Um, it feel despite it feeling like Zach Allen missed some time this year, like some serious time, he still had 31 starts, still had 184, excuse me, innings pitch, led the league in whip, excuse me, 0.913 whip, led the league in hits per nine, 5.9 hits per nine, 9.4 strikeouts per nine, 2.3 walks per nine. Zach Allen just had himself a fantastic season. And really, if you just look at Zach Allen's like year by year stats, like they're actually like insanely impressive and it's literally like the kind of stats you look at for any future hall of famer right like he's on the track record on the course if he keeps doing what he's doing statistically over the you know however many years eight to ten years he's gonna be a hall of famer like listen to the stats the first four years for zach allen 2019 only 80 innings pitch between the Marlins and the D-backs, but a 2-8-1 ERA. And if you remember, he had like, what, 25 consecutive starts of allowing two earned runs or fewer? Like, Zach Allen was crazy to start his year. If you remember, in 2020, Zach Allen, 12 starts, 72 innings pitch, 2-7-5 ERA, finished ninth in Cy Young voting in 2020. Now, 2021, I believe, is going to be the outlier year in Zach Allen's career because last year, dealt with injuries, didn't have Brent Strong with him. Just a weird season all around for Zach Allen last year. Same with Merrill Kelly. 4.3 ERA for Gallon and 121 innings pits last year. But now, you saw what he did this season, and Zach Allen looked back to being that guy. And I really think he's with Brent Strong over the next five years. Like, Go to betonline.net and place a bet on Zach Allen winning MVP one of the next five seasons because if Brent Strom is on the, if Brent Strom is still the pitching coach for the next five years, Zach Allen will win a Cy Young because it took Sandy Alcantara to basically have a, a all-time historic first half of the season to win the Cy Young award this year because if, if Sandy Alcantara is like 15% worse than what he was this season, Zach Allen would probably win the Cy Young. And I do think he's going to finish second Cy Young voting because he was that good this year. Like Zach Allen is a right-handed pitcher. And against lefties, he allowed a 146 average and a 473 OPS. Like Zach Allen was actually better against lefties than against righties. He was both elite at home and away. Some D-backs players only good at home. Some D-backs players only good on the road. Like, we see that for a lot of players in Major League Baseball. That was the thing with Blake Snell last year. I don't remember which one it was, but it was like when Blake Snell pitches at home, he has like a 2-5 ERA. On the road, it's like an 8.7 ERA. But for Zach Allen, <clears throat> excuse me, but for Zach Allen, 2-4-9 ERA at home, 2-5-9 ERA on the road. Like, And he had 90 innings pitch at home, 93 innings pitch on the road so literally the same guy homer homer wrote it does not matter what environment zach gallon is in he's going to dominate who's ever at the plate and that's what he did all season long batters think about this hold on let me make sure i got the stat right because batters when they were ahead of the count think about this how many times have we seen when you go on baseball reference look at any split for a pitcher and look at the numbers when the batter is ahead in the count. A lot of times when the batter is ahead against the pitcher, which you would expect the batter bats like 260, maybe with like an 810 OPS. Like usually the numbers are very pro batter when they're ahead in the count, which they should be because they're going to be in more favorable counts. But Zach Allen, when the batter is ahead against Zach Allen, they're only batting 184. Think about that. Even when you have a favorable count, even when you know a fastball might be cutting, might be coming, it does not matter because Zach Gallen is cutting and he's still able to throw it past you he was absolutely shut down with men on the bases and high leverage moments this past year 
A 170 average, 613 OPS allowed with runners in scoring position, 197 average, and 607 OPS allowed with men on the bases, and in high leverage moments, 188 average, and 630 OPS allowed in those moments as well. Zach Allen had himself 19 quality starts this past year, which I think makes Merrill Kelly's 18 quality starts even more impressive considering he only had one more start on the season than Zach Gallen. Gallen's walk rate, double play percentage, and a home run percentage all improved a lot this past season. Zach Gallen also had his hard contact stats improve as well, which you always like to see because I don't like to see my pitchers giving up loud, hard contact. Like, that's the thing with Madison Bumgarner. Even if the box score says Madison Bumgarner might have went five innings pitch and three earned runs, if you watch the game, you're like, damn, those fly balls are jumping off the bats. And if we didn't have Dalton Varshow, Alec Thomas out there tracking those alley balls, like, this guy would have like an eight, seven ERA. So for Zach Allen, that is not the case. The hard contact numbers could improve, I think, even more because he still gave up like an 87 mile an hour exit velocity, 36% hard hit percentage. I would like to see those numbers improve a little bit more, but Zach Allen was still nasty. 237 BABIP allowed. That's batting average on balls in play. He put the ball in play. It was most likely not going anywhere. And like I said, if you were hitting it to the outfield, like Varsho is the best defensive outfielder in baseball. If you hit it down the right sideline, Christian Walker is the best defensive first baseman in um, baseball. Basically, if you hit it to the right side of the field, bad things were going to happen for the offensive player because you either had Christian Walker or maybe one of our elite defensive outfielders out there. So I feel pretty sad for the opposing offenses when they go against our defense next season and the future because wait till we get Jordan Lawler up. Wait till we get a Drew Jones up. Like uh, I'm going to start going crazy with the ideas of Jordan Lawler and Drew Jones coming up because this D-back team is so loaded with young talent. I just don't even know how they're going to configure the roster. Like trades, will be coming down the pipe in the future. Zach Allen, when I was talking about his BABIP before, was also the best BABIP he allowed in his career. Career low, BABIP allowed, batting average on balls in play. So, impressive for that. Also, 90th percentile and fastball spin rate for Zach Allen. That fastball-curveball combo he had this past season was unhittable, and he added about a tick of velocity on his fastball as well, and that is the Brent Strom effect. So, Zach Allen, you were by far... The best D-backs player this past season. You had that scoreless inning streak as well. That hit like, what, 44 and a third innings pitch. D-backs franchise record ended up being top seven, I believe, with that scoreless streak all time. So, Zach Allen, even though Sandy Alcantara, I think, deserves to win the Cy Young, I would vote for Sandy Alcantara. Zach Allen himself had a pretty historic season, had a fantastic season. And I think in most years, Zach Allen wins the Cy Young, but... Sandy had himself a fantastic year as well, so I would even vote for Sandy. But next year, the year after that, and the next three years after that, within the next five years, mark it down, Zach Allen will win a Cy Young Award. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Go back this past week and listen to the rest of our top 10 power rankings from this past season for the top 10 D-backs in 2022. Thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners. Now go make your second listen of the day, Lockdown MLB with my pal Sully Baseball, who you hear every Monday when we do our crossovers, Walking Baseball Encyclopedia and Historian because he's an old man. So go check out his podcast. Come back next week for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.